You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to the Dressage Today podcast. It is the middle of July and it's hot and it's really hot and it's really humid. And here in the Northeast, we are experiencing smoke from the Canadian wildfires. It's gruesome. I feel so bad for the Canadians. I can't even imagine what it's like up there. Yeah. It's this bad here. But right. you guys are getting record-breaking heat and humidity too, aren't you? Yes, we are. The, the <laughs> dew point is so high that it's basically, you know, raining, but it's not. <laughs> you know, when you walk out of your house and it looks as if you're in a cloud? Yes. That's, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. If we don't have wildfires, we have the humidity. <laughs> Are you riding? Um, a little bit. And, you know, if if you have a covered arena in Florida, it's better because you're at least out of the sun. I don't have that because I swear when the sun's out, the arena is 10 degrees hotter than the grass right next to it. Oh, I believe I, you. It's I, like being at the beach. It, it is. And the no, sun seriously. Just, yeah, yeah. 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 So I do a little. Most of us in Florida or other places like Arizona or, you know, other climates that are very hot in the summer. Like the, the funny thing is summer is winter. For us, summer is winter for everybody else. Like this is our downtime. You know, yeah. we're not really showing much. Um, not that, you know, there, we're... This is this is where we take it easy, uh, yeah. which was hard for me to get used to when I mo- first moved down here. When everyone in colder climates are maybe not riding as hard, yes, uh, we're modulating, going f- modulating right. the way they we're going full steam ahead. So you know, here I either ride early in the morning, late in the evening, but I don't I don't ride hard like 20 yeah. minutes. A lot of it is walking. I just, my goal is to just keep some level of fitness on myself and, you know, and my horses. horses. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I was, I was thinking about how difficult this is right now. And, you know, there's stuff all over social media about when is it too hot to ride right. for your horse and, you know, the air quality index and, you know, the issues with that here, you know, where we're getting the, the, the fires. Um, and I was thinking, gee, I can't wait for it to be cold. And then I started thinking about, yeah, but, you know, when it's cold, then we start worrying about when is it too cold to ride. Right. Um, So, yeah, I am also riding, but definitely not the way that I normally ride in the summers. Um, I'm lucky that I do have an indoor and I have lots of windows. So there's a certain degree of airflow and I'm not right out in the sun. Yeah. Um, But, you know, Tiger's 21. Right. And this is this is hard breathing for me. So I, you know, I'm like you, I'm riding 20, 25 minutes. Um, you know, I'm doing bursts of, you know, difficult work. And then we walk and we relax and we catch our breaths. And when right. we build up to it a little bit and we come down again. And I was just thinking about how how um 
it's so hard maintaining fitness. And I'm starting to understand why there are snowbirds and why there are, you know, <laughs> the other direction birds and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, if you're really serious about training, um, this is tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, you know, again, for the Northeast right now, where I am, it's, or the Mid-Atlantic, I guess, is where I am. It's, it's unusual because of the, the smoke. Right. You yeah. Know? And that's in the Northeast. That's even, it's even going across into the kind of the middle region of the of yeah. the country too, I believe. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty horrific when you can actually taste yeah. the air. Um, there have been days that I've walked out of the house and I've thought that somebody was having a, you know, had a fire, a bonfire right. or whatever. Right. And I realized that that wasn't it, that it was just the air no. itself. Um, it's pretty gruesome. So that's crazy. You know, hats off to the people who are, you know, it, again, it's one thing to ride when it's just really hot and humid. Um, and it, and it is like being at the beach. I mean, I, I taught nine lessons this weekend in an outdoor arena and right. they, they had a pop-up tent for me and they had a mister and you know, <laughs> ice water and I mean, it was lovely. Um, but the way that the sun bakes off the arena, right. you know, yeah. it reflects back at you. It's just, yeah. it's just hot. It is. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, more power to everybody who's out there still keeping their own fitness and keeping their horses fitness and, you know, working towards goals and more power to you. Yeah. <laughs> but to stay safe out there. <laughs> and and keep your horses safe. Well, yes. Yeah. You know, remember, you know, one of one thing that a lot of my riders are doing, which I think is really smart, is they hose their horses before they tack up. Oh, okay. So their horses are wet to start and then they start to sweat and that, you know, takes away some of the wet and it just, it keeps them a little bit cooler. Yeah. There's also been a lot of research about how we cool horses down and, you know, the old fashioned idea that, you know, you hand walked for a while and, you know, you didn't use cold water. And now what they're saying is, you know, hand walking does basically nothing. Hose your horse with cool water for two solid minutes and they should be recovered. Yeah. Right. So we're going through a lot of water. <laughs> right. <laughs> Today's yeah. Ask the L <laughs> comes from Aaron. And this uses the word diagonal numerous times in different ways. So you have to pay okay. attention here. Okay. Does it matter what posting diagonal you are on during a test? And then when you are trotting across the diagonal in the <laughs> arena, where is the best place to change your posting diagonal? That does have a lot of diagonals in it. It does. Yes. Okay. Did you follow that? I did. So technically, you are supposed to be posting on the, quote, correct diagonal, which is rising to the outside shoulder. Um, and we all know in Europe, they post the other way. So. Technically, you should be posting the American way, which is rising to the outside <laughs> shoulder. Are you marked down for posting on the incorrect diagonal? If it doesn't affect the way your horse goes, then no. Okay? That's the okay. answer. Yep. Um, when you cross the diagonal, technically, you are supposed to change your posting diagonal as you cross X. Um, however, most 
people, when they change their posting diagonals without intending to, do change their horse's balance or connection in some way. So the smartest place to actually change your posting diagonal is just as you approach the end of the diagonal, because that signals like a half halt for your horse, that you're going to be going from straightness into a new bend. And it helps you now get your inside leg on and connect better to your outside rein. Yeah. So if I'm judging and I see somebody posting on the quote wrong diagonal and their horse has issues with balance going through a corner or with bend on a circle, I might comment, change your posting diagonal to help your horse with your balance, with mm. his balance. I will not mark them down. There are judges who will. And that will go oh, under okay. effectiveness of the aids or rider position. Mm -hmm. um, again, as I watch a horse go across the diagonal, particularly in the lengthenings and first level, um, almost invariably, if I see the rider change their posting diagonal at X, I see a bobble in the balance. Um, I also see people who change their posting diagonal as soon as they start across the diagonal. Mm. And generally, that isn't as smooth either. Um, so what I teach, um, right or wrong, is <laughs> change your posting diagonal right before you get into the corner once you change. Yeah, direction. that's what I do. Yeah. I, I just think it move it it's more fluid. Yeah. And again, it acts sort of like a half halt, which is I think why a lot of people do it when they first start across the diagonal. It's the half halt. I've changed my posting diagonal. Now I'm letting my horse know right. that something's happening. Right. The problem with that is that most people don't ride through the corner and set their horses up now <laughs> to go across the yeah. diagonal. So adding yeah. that change of posting just makes it even more awkward. Right. So yeah, that's, that's what I recommend. Okay. Um, that is not really what they teach in the L program. Um, oh. <laughs> but what they do teach in the L program is that you want to, if you're going to rise, that you want to rise um, in a way that best helps your horse. I mean, I right. had a horse that was weaker on one side and I found that if I posted on the incorrect posting diagonal going to the right, he was much better balanced. Mm -hmm. So yeah. sometimes you just have to do what's right for your horse in terms of his balance um, and support him in the best way that you can. Yeah. Did you see that there is a new proposal out that will permit posting trot at the medium and the extended gates through fourth level? It's not a proposal yet. It's people, I believe. I believe it's people talking about wanting to make it a proposal. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen yes. a little bit of it on on. I have media. seen that. Yes, yeah. there's quite a discussion going on there. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. But yes, it it is uh it is garnering a great deal of discussion. So if you want to see just just look around on Facebook a little bit and you will see quite a bit of discussion on whether or not it should be allowed. Yeah. Um on the yeah, on the mediums and and extensions. Extensions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know it was such level. an incredible scandal. Um, when rising was permitted at, at, you know, first level, first level, yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. now to, to even think about it all the way up to fourth level is just, it's very interesting because there are still a lot of people who still don't agree with the, the change at first level. 
Ah, so they're really right. going to have meltdowns with the fourth <laughs> level. <laughs> well, we will we will have to see how that progresses. But in the meantime, <laughs> but in the meantime, you can't. So yeah. So in the meantime, who are we speaking to this <laughs> later today? Oh my goodness. Um, yes, we are going to be continuing our sort of breed focus podcasts. And today we're going to be focusing on Arabians and half Arabians with oh, fun. Yeah. So we'll Sorry. be talking. That's okay. <laughs> we'll be talking with Mimi Stanley, who has done some videos for our subscription site, Dressage Today on Demand, about working with Arabians and half Arabians. So we look forward to hearing what she has to say. Mimi Stanley, along with her mother, Carla Stanley, own and operate Prairie Rose Training Center in Bismarck, North Dakota. Mimi has earned her USDF bronze, silver, and gold medals, as well as her gold freestyle bar on Arabians and Half Arabians. Some of her accomplishments include being one of only four young riders from the U.S. chosen to experience international-level dressage in Europe on the 2010 Olympic Dream Team, being selected to attend the 2014 USDF-USEF Young Rider Graduate Program, and earning 28 national championships and 15 reserve national championships at Arabian Sport Horse National Competitions, as well as earning 17 USDF All Breeds Championships or Reserve Championships, including the USDF Young Rider Grand Prix. Well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Thank you, Mimi, for joining us today on the Dressage Today podcast. Oh, oh, I'm very glad to be here and joining you. So just jumping right in, you have made a name for yourself, certainly with Dressage with the Arabian Horses. So how did you get involved with the Arabian breed? Well, basically, I was born into it. Uh, <laughs> so we've always had Arabians uh, and actually even always had an interest in the sport horse type disciplines, even before mm -hmm. that was really um, specifically something within the Arabians. Right. So that's kind of how I guess just it, it was pretty natural and <laughs> how it happened. <laughs> uh, but so what is it that you like about them? One of the things, I guess, that they just really are people horses. They're very, have a really high desire to please. Yeah. Um, they learn quickly. Um, they're really kind of yes, ma'am kind of horses, I guess, uh, in general. Um, I, they have, you know, a good energy level for the dressage, um, which, you know, also can have its things that work against you sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, overall, having that energy, uh, and kind of desire to work for a person is really helpful uh, and nice. So that's yeah. probably the, and doesn't hurt that they're really, that they have pretty faces. I mean, <laughs> doesn't hurt when they poke that over the, the stall door at you. Right. Doesn't hurt. Their little, their little ears and all of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned their energy level, but what do you find, what else do you find makes them, what kind of strengths do they have mm -hmm. for dressage? Well, I tend to 
find that they're very trainable as far as learning new things. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to so they tend to pick things up quickly, and sometimes that takes you know kind of the right direction. Um, but that's one of the big things. They tend to be what I would say is very flexible, which is slightly different than supple. So <laughs> those are kind of two similar in some ways, but di- definitely different things. The suppleness usually comes more after you've kind of built uh, the strength that I find. the, um, And then when you combine that with some of the flexibility. Uh, and so they tend, one of the other nice things is they tend to have a lot of longevity in their careers, yeah. which dressage can take a long time to learn. And then once, so when you have a horse that, you know, knows quite a bit, it's nice if they can have, you know, quite a bit of time right. doing that. Um, they, so they tend to be pretty uh, low maintenance as far as staying sound, you mm-hmm. know, overall, of course, you end up with a few things that happen. Sure. Um, and they still need proper care and maintenance. But yeah. in general, I would say they're a little lower maintenance. Yeah. I like that they're usually pretty compact. They're kind of like driving a little sports car around, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but conversely, what have you found to be their weaknesses? I think just kind of consistency. Um, and they don't tend to be super strong horses. They tend to learn things way faster in their brains than their bodies can do. Right. So they'll kind of get themselves into trouble that way. Um, and while they're really wanting to please, they could maybe be a little bit more easily distractible. Um, and the the energy kind of a thing, like I said, I, I don't like to push a horse. So I right. like that uh, to be able to direct the energy. But you do have to kind of be directing the energy. If you kind of leave them to their own devices with their energy, that's where I think that people can, you know, get in trouble with the kind of the, the flighty Arab, you know, the, the spooky Arab, yeah. that kind of a thing. On the other hand of that, I do find that they, even when they're maybe being kind of silly and wiggly and spooking a little bit at stuff, it's not to the point of that they're totally checked out. So they don't, to me, get quite like dangerous right. all the way, more annoying. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, focus. <laughs> Then right. versus like, you know, the number of like Arabs that'll just like totally blank out and like bronc is yeah really, really tiny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's kind of your, there's some good and there's some bad there. Yeah. Confirmation wise, you know, a lot of times Arabians have a bit of a straighter back and a straighter croup and that sort of thing. Have you found that to be a little more of a challenge to de- develop that pushing power and the hind end that the yeah. horses need. I think that that is, that kind of speaks to that, that they don't, don't tend to be strong horses. Yeah. Um, and because of that, sometimes the confirmation behind isn't always what um, you're looking for that way. And they have a bit of a tendency to travel across the ground versus kind of pushing into the ground, if that yeah. makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, it definitely takes some time to get them strong enough and understanding that you want them to push off the ground more or bet and their hind end more. Now, that said, a lot with the development of the sport horses and the dressage being more and more popular with the Arabs, there is mm-hmm. getting to be a lot more of them that are bred more 
for the performance horse disciplines of dressage and right. you know, hunters and things. And um, there were always, you know, horses and lines that had um, more tendency towards that. And luckily, actually, that was the type of horses that my parents liked. So the ones that from our breeding program, well, not like, you know, the Legro sitting power. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> certainly. Um, but had a little bit more of a tendency than then maybe some of the horses that were primarily bred for halter, let's say. Sure. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that kind of leads me into my next question as to how have you seen the breed change since you've been involved and your parents have been breeding? Well, I think for a while it was a really a tendency towards some of the maybe halter types, the lighter mm -hmm. horses um, that maybe weren't as much form to function. They were pretty to look at, but maybe not yeah. quite as form to function. Certainly not all breeders, but there was that tendency. And then um, now there's probably a few more kind of, uh, there's types in some ways, you know, uh, a little bit more. And there's getting to be quite a few breeders that, you know, really focus on breeding horses for sport and for dressage. Um, and so you're ending up with a lot of horses that are really come to it much more naturally and, and it's easier for them to stay through the back and bend their hind leg joints. Um, right. So there's a lot more of them that are becoming that. At, yeah. um, and some of those kind of also maybe some of the little bit bigger size of, of some of those um, that's not in all, but in general, I would say there's a little more size in the breed um, in the last 20 years. And what have you, have you done many half Arabians? Yes, that's actually probably the majority of what I'm showing um, mostly yeah. these days. Not completely on purpose, partially just <laughs> kind of from what has, you know, what has ended up working out. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, we also, most of our purebred mares um, end up that they, more their main career is uh, being mamas. Right. Um, so we raise a few each year. Um, and most of those, then then we do cross into the warm blood. So I have a number of uh, half Arab warm bloods that we're competing. And um, those are really super fun crosses. Is there any of the warm blood breeds? Is there one that you like? Or do you just look more for the type and the performance and the, and the stallion himself? More specifically for the type uh, of stallion uh, yeah. and what they've been what they competed in, what they're bred to do and what they're right. producing. Right. Um, still try to, we still try to stay on something that is, uh, has a degree of type on type. So not taking maybe like you think of your really old style, mm -hmm. super heavy, um, like maybe, or maybe like not typically wouldn't go with like a Holsteiner because they just usually aren't a little too different in types. Yeah. Uh, both great horses, but not, you could end up with something a little bit too <laughs> right. much opposite parts. Yeah. Um, so that's a bit what we more looked at. Um, most of them have been more the German um, warm blood breeds, mm -hmm. but um, as far as kind of, I think they tend to have a little more consistent kind of pushing power from behind, which is usually what we're um, sure. trying to add. One of the big things we're trying to add in. Yeah. 
switching gears just a little bit, can you tell us about some of your 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 own most memorable horses? Well, absolutely. What better thing to talk about than some of our favorite horses? Exactly, right? We lo- all love to do that. Yes. So probably um, the two most memorable that are both gone now would be PR Merrylegs that we bred. Um, and she was my first horse that was really mine. Yeah. Um, and I showed her up through fourth level, probably realistically, uh, a good third level, but, uh, <laughs> she was what I learned to teach flying changes to and all those kind of things. She was a quarter Shetland and three quarter Arab, but, oh. and, uh, <laughs> like spicy little gray mare. Um, but, uh, she was awesome. We did, I did. Uh, all sorts of things with her and yeah. the, the jumping and then up, yeah, got my bronze medal on her <laughs> and um, learned a ton from her and uh, got lucky enough to get uh, really good help from uh, some of the young rider clinics and into some of the last young rider clinics that Conrad Schumacher did and then was able to continue working with him at Temple. And he uh, famously, his thing was uh, he would point at her and then point at his head and say, Arab pony and mare, you see these gray hairs. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, a lethal combination, huh? <laughs> yeah, she was, but yeah, she was very much her own girl, but she was yeah. wonderful. And yeah. I learned a huge amount with her and did, did a lot of really cool things. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of led into, and they overlapped some, but uh, my Grand Prix horse, EA Cygnus, um, who I got from Ann Hornbeek uh, in uh, Louisiana, he really opened a lot of doors and um, took me through the Grand Prix and we got my, I got my gold medal on him Mm -hmm. and he was, uh, he and I were USDF horse of the year, junior young rider, uh, Grand Prix against like all the warm bloods. So that was really cool. Um, he, he was just amazing. Um, and just loved to work and was also quite a tricky dude. Um, definitely had to work for it and, um, got him as probably what you'd probably call a slightly green Grand Prix horse. But, um, so he, he and I learned a lot more to then become a secure, uh, team in that. Right. Um, so. And he's, he competed to a fairly old age, didn't he? Yeah. He competed to 23. Wow. Um, was his last Grand Prix. And then we lost him a couple months later to Aww. Pollock. He was still sound and working. Um, right. So. He, but that, that speaks to what you were saying earlier about how they can stay yeah. strong and stay sound. Uh, yeah. He was really, I mean, he, you know, he got a few injections uh, at that point in his career, but right. I mean, he, as far as a Grand Prix horse, he was, very sound. I mean, yeah. I think he did 75 Grand Prix, I want to say. My goodness. Um, and he <laughs> regularly on weekends do two Grand Prix a day. And he'd wow. come out of the, the last one, like, fired up and, like, <laughs> ready to do another one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the last year, I think I think it was just the last year. I can't, maybe it was the last two, but um, I, I felt like he needed to that doing two was a little bit too much. I don't know that he thought right, that, but right. I decided that for him. 
<laughs> wow. But that, yeah, that really does speak a lot to their personality and their work ethic and their wanting to please and all of yeah. that. that I re- that's one of the things yeah. I, that's probably the, the kind of the number one thing of just that they're really, they really almost never will kind of quit and tell you, no, I don't want to do that ad again, or I'm not, right. you know, I won't do the work or something like that. Uh, they just really, really don't say no. They might get distracted or <laughs> be silly or something or get yeah. bored and invent other things. So yes. To do that, he would bang out a line of changes, spook on the short side, and then do the next line of Tempe's perfectly as well. <laughs> and he'd have thrown this big old spook in on the short side because there was not enough going on for his brain. Apparently. Right. <laughs> No, like, no really yeah <laughs> he's but, just you know, kind of speaks to the like i guess we needed more going on right right yeah Whew. but which is actually something i find a little bit interesting not not all of them but some of them i find actually show better you know there's the the idea to show a level below where you're right training yes. which in general i think is a good barometer but i've definitely yeah. had some especially as they're kind of learning to focus and be um good show horses that show better kind of right at the edge of what they can do yeah uh, another one that was a really cool horse so we still have but he's uh you know mostly retired now was uh, captain hook and for years he showed he would reliably do his best test at the very edge of what he could do because he'd actually focus and do right and really like um uh, and then the one level down he'd Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. For years it was that way. It was just kind of, that's how he was. Yeah. Well, what advice would you give to people who are riding non-traditional horses in dressage, whether it be Arabians or some other breed? Well, I guess I would say first just kind of don't feel like you have to have the perfect horse. Um they first of all that doesn't exist but it right. even any of them you just start building on it and layering on skills and strength and um one of the big things to watch actually especially with arabs um would be like your straightness and make sure you just keep adding little bits and little mm-hmm. bits and you'll be surprised kind of where you go make sure that you're really conscious of the correctness um you might have to you know basically repeat things more but be try to be inventive about that so you don't make your horse bored um and just kind of keep chipping away at it get as good a help as you can and help that believes in that your horse can do it um i was always impressed with the majority of people that i worked with and it was always kind of amazing to me uh that uh schumacher was as open to working with um my Arabs, yeah, <laughs> and he just kind of was like, "Well, there's no reason you can't." And uh, <laughs> that I think that that attitude in general, as well as just then making sure you're really correct um, and accurate in your tests, that will take you real far. That's good advice. <laughs> and have you seen a change in whether it's judging or just basically? acceptance of non-traditional breeds or arabians i guess more specifically because that's Mm -hmm. what you've done more uh, in the open competitions that's my um i would say yes so really overall i have um i think 
people are a little more open to something looking different. I think maybe some of the broke breeds also have some have helped some of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, I think more people showing and I'm going to speak here to the Arabs and showing good quality Arabs that are doing a good job at it versus um, I will be one of the first to admit a a poorly trained Arab with poor confirmation with poor conditioning doing the job poorly is really one of the most unattractive things you can see. (laughs) And um, so there being less and less of that with more people finding a fit for their Arabians and then really working at it um, to do as best a job they can. I think that that's increased kind of the general acceptance um, and approval of them. And I think also judges have a little bit, I I like to hope been getting more of a chance to see and get used to looking at more types and know what that a good pirouette can look a little different if the mechanics of it are correct. Sure. Or whatever, insert whatever movement you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. And then for people who don't know, you are in Bismarck, North Dakota. Yes, I am. Which is not generally considered the hotbed of dressage. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe not. Uh, We actually do not have a rated show in the state. We did for a short while, but we we don't anymore. Okay. hope maybe to change that in the next year or two again, but... So yeah. what is it like trying training and trying to compete? Well, you just said where there isn't even a rated show in, in a remote area, in a place that doesn't have probably a long showing season either for weather. Um, no. Um, well, you get good at driving. Yeah. <laughs> for one. And just kind of you do. You just kind of go like, all right, we're going to get in the truck. and we're, They're going to get in the trailer and we're going to go. Um, so we drive anywhere from four to 800 miles for shows. Wow. Um, I drive, we go to, uh, Temple of Bazans and I work with, um, Conrad Schumacher, Lilo Four, and, mm-hmm. uh, a few other clinicians that they've brought in. Um, uh, so really and commitment how far, to how far away education. is that? Uh, that is 800 miles. Okay. Um, and so we do that, um, Probably ends up being COVID has kind of changed things a little bit, but yes, um, it let's say four or five times a year, um, and so really trying to make sure that we really maximize our learning when we're there, right? And um, know our homework. And my mom is really super eyes. I was the trainer's kid, so she's <laughs> she does still a lot of the coaching and is really good. Uh, is super eyes for me. Um, and she takes really good notes at clinics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we usually have the the rides videoed. And so I can watch back on that. Right. Uh, sometimes we're able to bring in um, some clinicians. We brought in some judges and things uh, for clinics. Um, so we really try to prioritize the education. Mm-hmm. And with that, um, really maximize each opportunity of it. And then the showing we show only show probably four times a year. Okay. Approximately. Um, and so again, we really try to target things, have them set up, you know, know the first show of the year, we're gonna, okay, we need to get these qualifications done and we need to kind of know our figure out what 
holes we need to fill in um, for the rest of the show season and then kind of have a, you know, back up a training plan. And then, like I said, I just put in, we just put in Arabian Sports Nationals entries today. So now we'll have really our kind of final six week prep. And so right. uh, we'll put in, we'll have one show in August to kind of make sure all the horses are um, on their game and thinking about what, <laughs> about being in the show ring. Yeah. Um, so they aren't too rusty. Um, and that's kind of, so we, we really show for specific reasons. We, we don't kind of just show to show. Right. Um, no. It's just is too far. It's yeah. Too <laughs> that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> but is it then a little more challenging? Because a lot of people who have more shows in their areas and have schooling shows and stuff, you know, have lots of opportunities to get green horses or inexperienced horses out to see things. Does that then make it a little bit harder for you to get your horses experience or are you just, yeah, I, I do find it that as, um, so sometimes I feel like it'll take a few of my horses, a few more, like it'll maybe take them a couple seasons to really right. kind of know how to go be a show horse. Yeah. Um, I have a, a gelding right now that he's eight um and he's had a few little things that have meant he hasn't had consistent show seasons so much but um really like this year finally i'm like okay finally you like he found like the last show we were at i was like okay you finally showed up like a big boy thank you <laughs> um but we try to do stuff of the like call to neighbors arenas and um okay those kind of things as yeah. well because those while they're not the same as going to a show they certainly help Oh yeah, it's still away from home, and they don't, and the horses don't know, not necessarily, necessarily. right? Uh, and I have to say, my neighbors with roping steers—that's quite an exciting. Hey, I bet if we can live through that, <laughs> you can live through anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> occasionally we go make the dressage horses go ride around at the rope ring arena. There you um, go. <laughs> I have to be a little smart about that because <laughs> you can overwhelm them with that kind of thing too. Sure. But, uh, but still, yeah, that's so I guess that those are kind of the big things. And yeah. I like the showing and I want to do well when we're I'm, you know, competitive. I want them to do well. Right. But the showing is also really kind of a yardstick and goals and mm -hmm. things like that versus um, showing. I it's, don't know, just show I guess going back to the showing to show. Yeah. Um, it, it's yeah. Really it's not the end goal necessarily. Not necessarily. It's no. Um, the, the being, being able to train the horse correctly yeah. to where, to, to his ability is yeah. more the goal. Yeah. 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 So I have a little mare of a client that isn't what you would, you wouldn't go pick her as a dressage horse. Um, but she's been doing pretty darn well. And yeah. she's going to, she's almost ready to do the third level. And at one, I'm like, you might make a little St. George horse. Not, we'll see. I'm not, I'm not sure yet. She's still doing the second, she's going to show the second, this finish off her second level scores this year, showing this year. She has all of her second level scores for like her bronze and stuff. And time will tell but that, but I've kind of sat on her a couple of times and gone, wow, yeah. you might. Wow. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and so that's just kind of goes back to that. Just layer your skills and. Right. And that's the rewarding part. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you must have a tremendous amount of patience. <laughs> well, we'll go with that. It's patience, not stubbornness. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Okay. Yes. We'll, we'll go with it. We'll go with patience. Uh, just, <laughs> just, just to be willing to, you know, drive that 
you know, make those long journeys and to plan and to know that your horses might need more seasons and stuff. And, um, yeah, it must, it must yeah. definitely take some patience and probably a little bit of stubbornness along with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then we get really cold too. So that also takes it. Yeah. A, yeah. A there's challenge. that. Um, but, uh, you know, it is, I don't know. On the other hand, people that sit in traffic, I, I would way rather drive 200 miles than right. sit in traffic for two hours to drive Yes. 15. Yeah. So That's, I don't know. Yeah. Completely understandable. Yep. Yep. I never, I never do that. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> well, the last question I have is one that we've been asking everyone because we're putting together a book list and that is whether or not, or if you have a favorite book, it could be a horse book or not a horse book, okay. fiction or nonfiction that you would like to share. Okay. Well, I kind of have a fiction and a nonfiction okay. um, that kind of come to mind. I don't know for sure if they're my favorites, but they sure. they kind of jumped out at me. Sure. So I really like uh, Danny Emerson's books as far as your, your uh -huh. nonfiction. And then as far as for fiction, um, there's a series that, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the author's name, but The Dressage Chronicles. Okay. And so it's like, I think it's a three book series, I want to say. Um, and it's kind of a young woman that goes as a working student to, uh, to Wellington and kind of, uh, goes through her kind of some personal and some horse, uh, horsey type things. Uh, and it's, it, so it's, it's fun because it's a fun fictional read, but it's also a person can really see the, the dressage journey in it too. So um, I wish I could remember the author's name right this moment. I just, moment, I, it looks Karen like. Karen Robinson, um, Robertson. Karen McGoldrick. Oh, there we go. Yes. I think I'm coming up with freestyles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not familiar with those. And it sounds like it's fiction, but probably based on some real life stories. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's got, got a little drama and intrigue in there. Right. There's a little romance in there. There's a, but there's definitely a, you know, the horses really come through the whole, sure. the whole thing. So that was, I guess, as far as for fiction ones, that was really a fun one. Oh, and, good. Um, I guess I, I really enjoyed uh, Isabel Worth's um, biography mm -hmm. uh, as far as, again, kind of going back to the nonfiction. And, yeah. Those are good. Well, we will add them to the list. Yeah, which we are we are getting quite an impressive list i have to say well, i i like to read i don't necessarily get to it as much as i would sure. like to um but uh i look forward to the list okay yes we are we are going to put it all together and and uh at some point and you know we 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 jokingly talk about having a book club i don't know if that would ever if that's ever going to transpire or not but at least we're going to have a good reading list so in your in your uh, north dakota winter maybe you can find some time yeah, to read i guess there there are a few positives of of the cold as there right uh, of the 20 below days is there's maybe a little bit of reading time in there there's a little bit of forced downtime yeah yeah <laughs> well so that's when i've rewatched my uh, Schumacher video. Sure. And, uh, yep. Make, try to make a plan for warmer months and yeah. 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 Try to figure things out to, to get you through, get you through the winter time to keep you inspired. Yep. Yep. And we, so the winter time, there's definitely some times where it's just 
is only enough to kind of keep the horses not lose all their fitness. Yeah. But um, yeah. you're not training enough to um, be progressing in right. know, maybe in January. Right. But right. that's okay. Does I think it doesn't? It's not so bad for the horses to have some easy time too for those little injuries that aren't actually real injuries but could turn into them to kind of sure absolutely no definitely well i have enjoyed this conversation it was good to get you to know you a little bit and um you know hear about some of your horses and life in north dakota which you know i'm in florida it's very different Yes. So, yeah, your your quiet time probably is now. Is now. Exactly. Yes, it is. It is. It is definitely now because it's hot. But um, yep. it's. I've enjoyed our conversation, and um, I want yeah, to wish too. you the best of luck at Sport Horse Nationals this year. Well, thank you, and uh, appreciate and honored to be uh, talked to. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.